Welcome in, and thanks for joining us for the latest edition of the Delaware Biblecast, a podcast ministry of Delaware Bible Church. I'm Brad Harris. I serve as one of the pastors here on staff at Delaware Bible Church, specifically as pastor of administration and outreach. And we are continuing our time here within the month of May, uh, showcasing and sharing about many of our missionaries that have joined us for missions conference, folks that you may not know quite as well as some of the longtime missionaries that have been a part of our conferences or things here at Delaware Bible Church. We have one of those joining us today, and that is Paul Seeger with Biblical Ministries Worldwide. Paul, thanks for joining us today. Hey, it's good to be with you. Thanks. So, Paul, uh, you are a guy that prior to this podcast I just met, and I'm sure many of those here within the church were, after this podcast is aired, will have heard you share with us on Sunday morning here at DBC. But if you wouldn't mind, please begin by sharing just a little bit about yourself, about your family, and where you're currently living at. Well, I'm, I guess I'm a Southerner right now because I'm living in Atlanta, Georgia, but that's not my home. Uh, I grew up in Africa, so... Uh, both grew up in Africa as well as served in Africa, so this is a bit of a change for us. But we live in in Atlanta and uh, married with two kids that are now grown and four grandkids. And uh, all of them are living in Atlanta as well, so it's good to be around family. So you were born in Africa. Can you tell us a little bit about your background there and what you were doing growing up in Africa? My parents were missionaries to Nigeria. They went out single, found each other there, got married, but they were the pioneering kind that went out to the far reaches of places that missionaries had never been before. Oh, wow. So that's where I grew up, out in the little village in Africa. Mm-hmm. So you're serving currently, you said you served there previously, and you're currently serving uh, with a mission board. Can you tell us about the board that you currently serve with and the mission field that you're currently on? Biblical Ministries Worldwide is a organization that helps churches that want to send missionaries around the world. So we're helping uh, about 500 missionaries from in about 40-some different countries around the world. Our main agenda is to establish churches. So we either help renovate and and revitalize churches, but our main target really is to start brand new churches in areas that need them. So we're basically a church planting group of, of folk. Okay. So how long have you been serving with this ministry? Well, I've been with BMW for 17 years on the mission field. I was a missionary in South Africa before coming to the States and now 27 years as the director of the organization. Okay. So can you share with us a little bit about your past mission work then? You shared that you served on the field previously before here. Well, in South Africa, we went there during apartheid. And if you remember that era, you sort of had to pick one language group and one population group. And we went to work with the Europeans or the whites in South Africa and had the privilege of starting three churches there. Wow. Those churches are continuing on to this day, and in fact, they're reproducing. They're sending out missionaries. Prior to that, um, were you serving in any fields or anything before that? I did an assistant pastorate down in North Carolina right out of college, Mm -hmm. so I served there for three years before going to the mission field. So can you share with us, if you wouldn't mind then, serving the the primarily all of your ministry years, for the most part, on the mission field, uh, how the Lord called you to the mission field obviously i was uh i grew up grew up on the mission field so missions was kind of just normal it was Mm -hmm. it was our life and uh, that didn't mean that i was to be a missionary necessarily but as i went through bible college uh, god just continued to 
pushed me in that direction. Mm-hmm. And uh, I knew I needed to gain some experience as well as education. So I served as a as a uh, assistant pastor in a church in North Carolina. But then God just used an individual to point me in the direction of South Africa and showed me some of the needs that existed down there. So it was really a combination of God's word, uh, my experience, my growing up, as well as individuals that spoke into my life. So raised in a Christian home, uh, spent time on the mission field growing up. Can you share with us your personal testimony of how you came to Christ? Growing up in a little village in Africa, of course, I was the only white boy there. And so my friends were uh, the African kids there. And I started off life speaking their language and assuming that culture was how the rest of the world lived. Well, I had a a special friend that we played a lot together. This is at seven years old. Both of us were seven years old. And I remember him coming one day to play, and he said, uh, you know, I, I received Christ as my Savior at church last night. And for some reason, I hadn't been at that service. And I thought, well, that's wonderful that uh, you came to Christ because that's why my dad came here, so that people mm-hmm. could hear the gospel. Well, he turned the tables on me, and he said, well, Paul— what about you? Are you a Christian? I said, well, of course I am, because I'm, I'm, my, my dad's a pastor. He's a missionary. And he, he got in a little bit of argument. We got a little bit of an argument over that, because uh, I was convinced that I was okay, because I was from America, and all Americans are Christians, and, and, uh, and my dad was a missionary. And so we had this little debate out in the bush as we were playing. Finally, I, I figured, well, the only way to sort out my friend was to take him to my dad, which I did, and my dad sorted out my theology. And uh, for the first time in my life, I came to the realization that I couldn't, I couldn't establish my own righteousness. It didn't matter who I was, what my background was, that I needed to, by faith, reach out and accept the free gift of salvation that God had given and to repent of my sins. So that was uh, my point of salvation at seven years old out in a little village in Africa. Wonderful. Well, praise the Lord and appreciate you sharing with us uh, that and, and your background. Let's talk more about currently where you're serving and what you're doing uh, there in Atlanta. Could you describe for us an average day in your life as a missionary? Well, up until January, I was serving as the director of the organization. So my focus was on providing the support systems for missionaries that were going to go to the field. I spent my half my year on the road traveling here in the United States as well as overseas, um, overseas to work with our colleagues, and but then here in the States to speak in conferences and recruit and in churches as well as institutions and uh, basically run the organization, make sure that we had the support systems in place. So I really never had an average day. Every day was sure. sort of different. I can relate to that. I understand. Yeah. But if you think in terms of the things it takes to be the director of anything, that's what I was doing. So you were wearing a lot of hats, basically. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> So with your ministry organization and with the people that you're serving with, how has COVID-19 changed that mission work? Well, it's certainly shut down international travel mm-hmm. and, uh, and to a certain extent here in the States as well. Um, I, I normally, as I said, am gone about half of the year uh, on the road, but uh, that, that pretty much shut things down. Mm-hmm. It did, however, give me a bit more time to, to prepare the next director and for us to spend a lot of time together. And uh, as we transitioned in January, he was up to speed, and, and we'd had plenty of time together. Uh, but COVID has, to a certain extent, limited uh, ministry overseas, but to a certain extent, it has expanded it. And even during COVID, we have still gotten missionaries to the field for the wow. first time in some places that you would think isn't possible. So in mm-hmm. Europe and Africa, places that were shut down, you know, those doors are still open. Missionaries are still getting to the field. So it's really encouraging. 
do you still have? I know there are some missionaries here at the conference that uh, are stateside that we're not still anticipating being stateside. Do you have some missionaries throughout your organization that are still stateside for foreseeable future, it's looking like right now, or are most there? No, there are missionaries that were maybe on furlough when mm-hmm. all this came down, and so they're stuck here because the country that they worked in isn't letting them back in. Wow. So, yeah, there are there are those that are stuck here. There are some that are stuck on the fields where they are, and it's just not conducive for them traveling back here right now. So it, it has limited travel, but uh, everybody's sort of flexing with that and uh, realizing, you know, God's in control of these things. Mm-hmm. So do you have a favorite or a special story, either during, from your time on the mission field or currently in the ministry that you're serving that you could share with us, just where you've seen the Lord working through uh, the ministry that he's allowed you to be involved in? My, um, my focus or the things that I'm basically responsible for is to help find men and money, if you want to mm-hmm. use two M's, uh, because we need to find finances to move things forward as well as find recruits. And so for me, that's that's what I'm looking for, God working. And during all of these ups and downs of the economy of the last 20 years, and even during COVID, it's just been amazing to see God provide financially. I thought we were going to really be hit last year financially, but uh, our, our the giving to our organization has actually gone up. Mm-hmm. And it's not really because of anything I've done. It's just God is doing that. And we serve churches that still believe in missions. So they keep right on moving forward with supporting missionaries, even though they might be strained a little bit in their budgets during this time with income maybe going down a little bit. And it's just been so rewarding over the years to see God using us in some way to help influence other people to look towards mission fields of the world. So those are the encouraging things in my my life because that's what I was really focused on. Sure. And that's it's neat that you say that because we've seen that here at, at DBC in that even through the COVID season when there was a fear of – what's going to be next as far as income and those things are increase our giving here has actually increased during that season and um was talking to someone who does a lot of christian ministry fundraising and he said yeah that's pretty normal that uh, christian ministries and organizations that are solid that are grounded continue to see giving through those pandemics and through those times so i'm interested though you said that you're particularly looking for men and for money Let's say that I come to you and I say, I, I want to be a missionary on a foreign field, um, or I'm interested in missions, then what, what's the next steps that you would take me on after that? Well, obviously, we're looking for people that have adequate training, and that will vary a lot depending on where you're going to go and what your ministry is going to be when you get to the field. But uh, theological training is really important, mm-hmm. and so we're looking for a person that has had theological training, and we we don't care how you got that. There's so many avenues for getting that today that it doesn't have to be going off to a seminary or a Bible college, but you have to know your theology because we are we carry truth. We uh, carry truth to the world, and so uh, you have to have your theology in place. Then, of course, we're looking for people that have demonstrated uh, ministry proficiency here in the States. Instead of trying to learn on the field, they need to do that here. But then depending on where they're going to go, there's a bunch of training that we would provide mm-hmm. for an individual, and some would need some training that maybe we might outsource to other organizations that's highly specialized. But we are engaged in helping to equip someone so that when they get to the field, at least they have a fair chance of hitting the ground running and knowing sure. what they're supposed to be doing. 
So you mentioned men, uh, particularly, I know that you mentioned, you know, men that have theological training, uh, looking to serve in ministry, those type of things. Do you, um, from your from your ministry, do you all have any unmarried women or single women serving on the field, or are you primarily looking towards men and church planting and those type of things? We do have single ladies that are and single men that are part of the organization. So basically, a single lady can do anything that she can do here, mm-hmm. and uh, right. they are oftentimes even more effective, shall mm-hmm. we say, than sure. men are simply because they have more time and their giftedness enables them to get into places that maybe we can't. So yes, we do have ladies that um, that that join that are single, but. One of the idiosyncrasies of missions is both the husband and wife join as missionaries. So sure. the wife has to be uh, as qualified spiritually, maybe not as much academically that she has to have, mm-hmm. but uh, she has to have the same qualifications that her husband would have because it is such a joint venture. It's such a strain on the family that if both are not highly committed and in on this, it's not going to last very long. Right. Absolutely. Do you have a specific place or... Uh, areas that you're currently targeting for missionaries to go, or uh, how does that work? A person says, I want to be a missionary, and how do you find what the place is that they're going to be, assuming they're the right fit for what you're looking for? You know, we oftentimes have people come to join us. They say, I want to get involved in missions, but they don't know where. And so as we get to know them, we can sort of decipher and say, well, here's maybe three or four countries that you would really fit well, mm-hmm. and maybe these countries would be a bit of a challenge for you. We're all made up differently. So we would help to 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 narrow down some of their choices, but ultimately we want them and their church, their sending church, to make that decision. We're here to serve them based on what their church and they want to accomplish. So, yeah, we would help them to simply sift through the options and uh, you could throw a dart at the at the globe and almost anywhere there's going to be a need for missions. But there are places where there are greater needs. Mm-hmm. And uh, as I said, we're, we're serving in over 40 different countries around the world. Some of them have are basically partnering fields where we're helping advance the church that is already there. But there are other fields that are pioneering fields where we're starting from scratch and doing from scratch church planting. So once a missionary is on the field and they're serving there, how do you support that missionary through your organization? The practical side, of course, is the financial side. We've got to sure. collect funds for them and get that to them. But that's just uh, that, that's sort of mechanical. We can do that. But the, the tougher thing is just to support them as a team and to do team building, to support them emotionally and spiritually and uh, help to continue to develop them and to train them in their ministry. So we have systems in place and an organizational chart that enables everyone to have someone that's in their life and assisting them to move forward. So basically it provides a support system for them for every aspect of their life so that uh, they're not just out there on their own um, struggling. Right, right. All right, we've we've talked a lot of shop there. Let's let's go back uh, to Paul and some fun stuff here. How did you get connected here? Uh, I believe last year you were going to come and speak too for missions conference before COVID happened when we had it planned, of course. But how did you get connected here to Delaware Bible Church? You know, I'm not real certain for sure. Uh, I've never been here before. Mm-hmm. Uh, this this event, I think it's the missions committee. You, you guys support some missionaries with our organization. So I assume it's through those missionaries that you sort of got to know me or mm-hmm. heard of me and, and issued that invitation. Okay. 
Well, very cool. We're glad you're here and welcome in for the first time. So uh, outside of your profession, what are some hobbies, things that you and your family enjoy doing for fun? Well, traveling a lot obviously means that tourism is something that we're we're into. While, while you're there, we also like to take advantage of seeing what's there. Sure. But uh, on a personal level, I'm not a golfer, but I play golf. So that <laughs> sort of is what gets me out outside and clears the cobwebs and obviously enjoy enjoy getting to spend some time with other guys, especially the guys that I'm discipling and, and some evangelistic opportunities. Yeah, a lot of good places to play golf there in Georgia, especially yeah. Atlanta, I'm sure. So what resources, what advice would you give someone that comes to you, let's say here at Missions Conference here at DBC, you speak tomorrow and Sunday morning, and a person comes to you and says, I'm interested in mission work. Let's say that um, they don't have a theological education, they don't have a background there, they've been a solid church member for many years, but they say, I want to serve on the mission field someday. Um, let's say it's a, a person in high school or coming out of high school. What advice would you then give them, or what resources would you give someone interested in finding out more? We start with the basic premise that a mission agency doesn't send missionaries, the church does. Mm -hmm. So therefore, the very first thing you ought to be doing is talking with the leadership of your church. You ought to be voicing that to, to the pastor or to the pastors of the church and to the leadership of the church. Um, because some people say, I want to get involved in missions, but the pastors know this individual and know, first of all, whether they ought to be leaning on that door. And they also know where the gaps are in their training. So mm -hmm. we we can help facilitate getting a person to the mission field, but we rely heavily upon the local church and the leadership to vet someone and then what we can do is to help evaluate where they are and render a second opinion, if you will, sure. and say, here's some areas that if you would do this or study this or gain this experience, it would really enhance your ability to serve on the field. So it's really custom built based mm -hmm. on who the individual is. We have a two-week induction process called Kennedy Seminar. And during that time, we spend a good bit of time getting to know each other. And as we get to know an individual, we will, by the end of that time, have some recommendations back to the church and say, here's what we think this individual could or should do in order to go to the field. So that we're kind of rendering a second opinion, if you will, back to the church to say, here's here's some areas to, to train. And that could vary so much depending on the individual. Sure. So it's, it's not a one-size-fits-all. So if an individual came and they said, I'm interested in being a missionary— uh, we're an elder-led church, and uh, you contacted the elders here at, at DBC, and they said, no, we don't really see this person being a fit for missions then. Uh, based on that, it would strongly change how you guys would view them for candidacy for being a missionary then. That's correct. We I don't carry around applications with me. In fact, okay. uh, we will not even give someone an application until the church has, first of all, told us to do that. Great. Um, you know, I've watched— organizations recruit missionaries and they join the organization decide where they're going to go then they come back to their home church and say would you guys write a check mm -hmm. and it really cuts out the local church and the whole process we are we have systems in place to make sure that that doesn't happen uh, a person could only go with us if the church says we want to send this individual and they're they're, they're qualified and we think they they ought to go so can you tell us a little bit about the raising support process? Let's say that someone's a candidate to be a missionary. They're approved by their church. They're approved by 
your organization, then what's the next steps for them as far as raising funds and that kind of a thing to go to the mission field? Well, maybe some people listening to us come from a denominational background, and that's Mm -hmm. kind of a different model where you just go to the denominational headquarters and they hire you, Mm -hmm. whereas we we are doing what is called faith missions. In other words, uh, we are raising support through churches and perhaps individuals, and basically these are people or churches that would say, we want to support you in the endeavor that you have. And so after candidate seminar, the next step is for someone to go out and visit churches and present their ministry and see if God would resource them. And so that takes some initiative, but it's really very similar initiative to what's needed to be successful on the field. Right. And so raising support, some people look at it negatively, but it's really a, a positive proving ground, and it's a way to see God have his hand on your life as you head to the mission field. So we look upon fundraising as a very positive thing. Is there a... Um I know this has varied from time to time. Is there kind of an average time span that you all have seen more recently for for those raising support before they get on the field, or does that kind of vary from place to place? It does vary. It varies. Uh, our, our, our experience has been it takes anywhere from six months to three years, mm-hmm. and a lot depends on a person's situation, what part of the country they're raising support in how much time they can devote to it if they have to work another job or if they can go full-time. There's just a lot of variables in sure. that. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to stretch out in, for some people longer, but based on their own personal circumstances. So you mentioned uh, particularly about church planting and that kind of a thing. I know that some missionaries are serving as tent makers in, in other places, either uh, supporting or doing a ministry outside of specifically building up a local church. Uh, do you do anything with those type of missionaries, or are you specifically more geared towards church planting and healthy churches? Well, we are only doing church planting, but we do have a lot of people that are involved in tent, ma- tent making of one sort or another, mm-hmm. but they need to be contributing towards the establishing of churches. So really, tent making is just a way to bring in the dollars. Sure. And so we've very deliberately fuzzied the lines between a tent maker and a traditional missionary. You know, for, for 1,800 years— most missionaries were tent makers, mm-hmm. and it's really only been the last couple hundred years that we've been supporting missionaries like we do right now. So right. really, it's just a return to the way that we've done this down through the majority of church history. So we have missionaries that uh, are 100% supported by a job that they have on the field, but they're part of a t- church planning team. And mm-hmm. so they're devoting their efforts outside of their work time to to getting churches established. And then we have missionaries that maybe work partially and are supported partially. Then we have missionaries that are 100% supported by churches in the States. So basically, we're defining a missionary not by where the money comes from. We're defining them by the work that they do. So if someone were listening and they were, let's say, an engineer by trade, and they were able to do that on a foreign field, uh, they had some theological education background, maybe not to the extent of a pastor or something like that. You would be interested in them and, you know, seeing if they would be a fit for a church plant, tent making, that kind of a thing. Would that be correct? Oh, definitely, for sure. And we, we have maybe historically thought of tent making as only for places that are difficult to get into or you can't get a missionary visa. But we probably ought to think in terms of tent making all over the world. For instance, in Western Europe right now. There are places where you can get a job just like that. There's a shortage of teachers, for instance, in Sweden. Mm-hmm. There's IT workers needed in Germany. And while some missionaries may struggle to get a, a, a visa, you could get a job right away in these countries, team up with other missionaries, and be a vital part of a church plant 
over there and basically not need to raise support. Wonderful. Wonderful. So last question about raising support. I know that you mentioned some individuals supporting and churches supporting, um, and that's something we've seen. I, I know folks here within the church, yes, corporately, we, we have certain missionaries that we support, but also I know others that are either individually supporting those missionaries or they are uh, contributing in some way to other similar ministries individually and that kind of a thing. What is the primary means of support that you see within the church? Is it or or for the folks that are serving on your mission board? Is it more individual? Is it more church gifts? Well, there's kind of a trend in the evangelical world that uh, there are a number of groups that train missionaries on how to resupport, support, and they basically say, "Don't even bother going to the church because you're not going to get support." Hmm. We have a what I think is a strong ecclesiology, and we're not willing to bypass the local church. So for us, we are we are helping people. To present their ministries in local churches, and if individuals pick up support, that's great. Mm-hmm. I think you can argue biblically that uh, missionaries were supported both by churches as well as individuals. So one is not wrong or the other, except for the fact that our ecclesiology drives the fact that we do not want to bypass the local church or just abandon the local church. That's that's great stuff. And again, Paul, we we appreciate you coming and sharing with us. Just a couple more things that I'd like to ask you. Number one, if, if anyone's listening in and they are interested in finding out more information, uh, could you share with us, whether it's your email address or uh, Biblical Ministries Worldwide, who should they contact about that to find out more information about your ministry? Well, they're more than welcome to contact me. Uh, my address is pseger, S-E-G-E-R, at biblicalministries.org. But if they also go on our website, biblicalministries.org, there is a avenue for you to ask questions directly from the office, and uh, there's there's a way to initiate the conversation there on our website. So it's pretty obvious if you just go to that website. Okay, very good. Last question that I'll ask for you for our podcast today is one of the things that I really appreciate here at Delaware Bible Church is that many folks within our church specifically pray uh, for our missionaries and for those who join us for events such as this. So how can folks that are listening and be praying for you and your family and your ministry uh, here as they listen? Well, as I mentioned, I just stepped out of the directorship in January, so I'm sort of framing a new ministry and and, and life for myself. Uh, I'm not ready to retire, so I'm engaged in recruiting for Southeast Asia in particular. And so pray for my recruiting efforts. We're also going to be back on the front lines at least three months out of the year, going back to South Africa to work with our team there. So we, we want to get back on the front lines and be doing you know real live missionary work in Africa. So hopefully that's going to take place this fall. And uh, just pray that God will use continue to use us to help navigate people to the mission fields of the world. We will be praying to those ends. And again, Paul, we thank you for joining us. Thank you all for listening in to this week's podcast, and we look forward to continuing to share through our May Missions Month of several other missionaries that have been joining us for the conference. Hope you have a great week, and we look forward to sharing with you again here very soon.